Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Michael Williams, the founder and president of Altius Financial. And I'm joined again by my co-host and associate, Taylor McGowan, her senior wealth design specialist at Altius Financial. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hey. I'm not sure about you, but uh, this whole pandemic seems like it's winding down. And, and we thought, uh, Taylor, you know, I thought we were going to maybe worthwhile to do a, uh, a podcast about travel and uh, budget. I, I know a lot of people are kind of getting excited about getting out of their house and maybe hitting the road or uh, taking an airplane somewhere. So uh, what do you think? Should we should we talk about travel and, and uh, making it happen? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm ready to get out of the house. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about how to plan around it. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are getting vaccinated now. I don't know uh, where you're at on the list. I haven't, you know, I, I think I told you that I, you know, I had a mild case of it um, and I'm looking forward to being vaccinated and, and I already have done some travel and more of a business travel, but I'm looking forward to doing some uh, maybe vacation like travel later in the year. And so we were going to talk about some tips and uh, travel tips as well as budgeting tips. Um, so what do you think? Should we get started? Yeah, let's get started. So just a quick reminder, um, any discussion that we have on these podcasts is not necessarily meant to be direct advice for, um, for our listeners. We recommend you reach out to your financial team. If you don't already have a financial team, feel free to reach out to us directly and we are happy to be your financial advisors. That would be taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com. You can also check us out on our website, www.altiusfinancial.com. One other little disclaimer, I just want to thank all of our listeners who have been listening all the way through. You've probably um, seen how sometimes our editing is getting a little bit, hopefully you're noticing our editing getting better and hopefully our sound is getting better. Um, we are still relative newbies at this and <laughs> we don't have some fancy studio. We're doing this out of our homes and trying to make the best of it. And so I really appreciate everyone bearing with us while we're working to improve our sound quality and improve our podcast. Absolutely. We're, um, like you said, we're newbies and we're getting used to this ourselves. Uh, we both have new microphones, so hopefully we're mastering the art of using the microphone and people can hear us, um, but we appreciate their patience. So you've got some travel coming up. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, it's kind of crazy. I am heading to visit some family. They they have a place out in Aruba. So we're, we're going to Aruba, which I've never been there. So um, leaving the country is exciting in general, but leaving the country to someone you've never somewhere you've never been is even a little bit more exciting to me. And I don't know if how many of our listeners are in Colorado, but it snowed quite a bit lately. <laughs> yeah, it's it, been it's... a lot of snow. I mean, I'm, I, that, I can see that vision of the, the blue water and the nice sand beach. I've been to Aruba before, not for a long time. It's funny, a number of my family members have somehow decided to cut out and go to Hawaii um, and I just haven't had a chance to do anything like that, but I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I mean, that, that'll be a great, um, rest for you and hopefully you'll, you'll have a good time. Yeah. Well, and it'll be good to be with family as well. I think, um, it's nice cause everyone we're going with has already been vaccinated. Um, I'm kind of the last on the list because I'm not in one of those categories, but I will do my best to be as safe as possible. That is one kind of, one of the things that we do want to touch on. So 
things I'll be doing differently that I might not have done if I was going on a trip this time last year. I'll be bringing wipes with myself, so I'll wipe everything down. <laughs> um, I know they hand you out wipes as well, but just extra, just in case. I don't want to get anything. I'll be wearing a mask, obviously. I'll bring a few extra masks so I can kind of change them out. And um, so I'm not putting on a dirty mask and then putting something into my system. The interesting thing with, so I'm, this is technically international. It's not super far, but it is an international flight. It is pretty far, I, as I recall. It's, it's a long ways out there. Yeah, it's it seems like it's about as difficult to get to as the Bahamas. So not close, but it's not like I'm flying to Europe or something. I, I think it'll still be right. like a five or so hour flight from Florida, I think, or from from wherever we transition. Um, but the interesting thing that I hadn't realized was you do have to check on like websites and make sure you're certified and registered that you don't have the disease. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed or at least was paying attention to uh, my brother and his family and uh, my sister and her family. They, they um, in going to Hawaii, they had to you know, do the testing, but they also had to do a, it seems like a special test for Hawaii, a little bit different test and, and then make sure they uploaded the results of those tests online. Do you have to do the same thing, Taylor? Yeah, so they had me download an Aruba Health app and then I had to set up my own page and then I have to upload my results. You have to get your, the big test, the PRC, PCR or PRC test 72 hours before and then you have to upload those results before you get on the plane or they won't let you on. And then after you get there, you have to take a quick test and upload those results. Now, do you, will you have to be sort of in a quarantine situation um, when you get there or will you be able to go to the beach right away? I think they give you your quick test and then you get a head out as soon as your quick test results are back. As long as they come so back. So it's supposed to be like a quick couple hour turnaround type thing. Hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about uh, you know doing all that extra stuff, you know, all that extra administrative stuff in preparation of traveling and put your name in a database. You know, I know a lot of our clients, some of our clients at least might be going, ah, I don't really want to do that. Either. It's not worth it. Or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have to put my name into another database like that. I kind of feel like it's helpful to, I guess I'm, I'm in the generation that feels like everyone already knows everything about me anyways. So if they want my name, it's already out on Facebook, it's out on Instagram. And so I feel that having my information out there is gonna be more beneficial for society as a whole to kind of say, okay, well, if Taylor got COVID, now we know, and now anyone who's around her can be like warned and they can quarantine and be careful. Um, on the same side, it makes me feel a little bit more secure because I feel like, okay, anyone who's boarding the plane has already had at least one COVID um, test to prove that they were negative and they're going through these extra precautions. So I'm hoping that all this extra testing is making us maybe a safer, healthier society. That might just be, maybe we're all the same and we're just getting more tests, but I, no, I, I think like you're right. I, I think there's, you know, there's a debate on that. And I know, I know there are people who, who, you know, I don't know if it's you and I talked about doing a future a future show uh, podcast kind of episode on, uh, you know, conspiracies and things like that. And I, I don't think it's necessarily conspiratorial to say, I just don't want to do this. 
but there are people who feel like, you know, there's just another move on big brother to try to control me. I, I think you're right though. I mean, I think, I think the testing and tracing that's gone on, um, certainly that would have been helpful a long time ago that they did, they were able to do that more successfully, but I was just curious how you felt about it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's a hassle, my, but well, and it's, like you said, it's a generational thing, partly. I mean, I know, um, most people your age that I encounter have that same sort of attitude of like, well, you know, I'm, my whole life is out there. Um, I'm not really too concerned about privacy. Whereas people who are my age or maybe a little older are like, wait, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable having such, you know, disclosure across the whole world and internet um, about my, my health situation or, you know, all the things that are, are more personal to me in terms of my identity. And so that's, it's just kind of a generational thing. Yeah. Well, and on a similar note, it's kind of funny. I remember probably back when I was maybe 10 years old, my parents took us to Cancun as like a family vacation. And I remember that was like probably the start of Facebook timing where people just started oversharing things. And my stepdad was like, you better not post anything. You can't post anything that you're out of the house until you get back. And, and I think from his perspective, it was okay. We don't want anyone robbing the house or thinking that like, yeah, that's a good point. Too. I mean, you know, I, I can see that. I, I remember actually when I when I, when I was very young, which is much longer ago than than when you were very young. But uh, I remember going on vacation with my family, and we did get robbed. And and it was one of those situations where someone, obviously, it wasn't on Facebook, but it was someone in our neighborhood who knew more about us, you know, and knew knew that we were leaving town, and so they had the opportunity. So that's a good point. I mean, you know, people who are who are traveling, maybe want to make sure that they're, you know, they're being aware of that kind of information getting out there. Yeah. And so I guess that's something interesting to think. I feel most of my generation is perfectly fine telling the world that, hey, I'm out of town this weekend. But I feel most of growing up, I was told, don't tell people if you're leaving your house alone. That's that's not good. And not I guess smart. I have neighbors. So my you, you couldn't rob my house without robbing my neighbors and they are home. So, so don't rob me next week. There will be someone there, but, but I do think it's interesting. The transition of, um, yeah, pre pandemic and even pre pre everything. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Mike? You talked about traveling for work a bit. What has been your experience so far? So it's definitely changed. I, you know, I've, I've done a few trips, um, uh, a couple speaking things, and um, it's interesting how uh, more recently the airports are getting very crowded. It looks like there's more, and you know, part of this is in conjunction with more people becoming vaccinated, and I think more people becoming tired of being locked up. Um, so, I, the my experience is that there's a lot more people out there now in the airports. Um, and, you know, when I first went on a trip, uh, it, it was very, you know, I, I had a whole road myself and then most of the plane wasn't full. And, um, but I think the same protocol, at least since I've been traveling, the same protocol of, you know, they, them handing you wipes and you taking them on yourselves or having some, you know, some kind of alcoholics hand sanitizer in your, your briefcase or purse or whatever, and, you know, making sure you have a clean mask and all that kind of stuff seems the same. Um, I haven't gone on any trips where, where um, I needed, to I had to take the the PCR test. I have taken, you know, I have taken a PCR test, and I've taken the other one um, 
and uh, the states that I've gone to did require that. I mean, it, it's sort of a, uh, they're saying they required it, but there was no, you know, kind of methodology of checking. You know, it wasn't like you got off the plane and they say, okay, where's, where's your test? Which I think is different when you're talking about international or Hawaii. I think they do really require that. They're not going to let you on the plane, right? If you don't have those things. And in my own case, you know, I've taken the test, but there was no actual verification process or, or, you know, slowing you down at the airport and making sure that you had it. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if they were just telling you, okay, you need to take this in hopes that you would do it and they don't want to add the extra work on their side or something. Or... Well, they don't have the resources. Uh, they don't have the resources to enforce it. That's a lot of times, you know, something that's interesting to talk about when, when there are mandates like that, you know, that the, they're sort of toothless. Um, but they, I guess they were on the honor system. My, my understanding is at least the places I've traveled, none of them were really enforcing it other than if somebody, you know, sort of got snitched out or got turned in and then they, then they had to pay the fine if they hadn't, you know, if they hadn't gotten the test. Okay. It seems kind of dumb of them to tell you to take a test and then not have the, any kind of enforcement of it, but. Well, that, you could get me started on a roll on that whole thing. I mean, I, you know, I, th I think that. There's a lot of times uh, people say, now this is a unique situation with the, the virus and the pandemic, but there's a lot of times where people will say there ought to be a law, there should be a law. And they go to their congressman as constituents and say, I want to solve this problem with a law. And then there's enough energy, if there's enough energy behind it in the legislature, that, oh, before you know it, there's a law, you, you, you know, society or these people or these businesses or these travelers must do this. But making a law doesn't actually create resources to, to actually enforce the law. So that's, you know, that, that happens all the time where there's mandates or controls or guidelines or whatever that people put on paper and say, these have the force of law, but it's very difficult if you don't have the resources in place. And if you're not really that serious about it, saying we're going to enforce it, but that's, that's enough of my role on that. <laughs> well, so let's get on to the the financial aspect of this. I think people are probably listening and going, okay, I agree. Now I'm aware I probably need to take a test and might need to Google the location I'm heading to and any kind of specific restrictions there. But how does this affect my finances? What What is this going to do for my financial planning and um, my overall financial picture? And so I, I think it's helpful to note that, um, that we've had plenty of clients and it's it's a common thing that people just enjoy travel. Maybe it's travel to visit family, maybe it's travel to explore somewhere, but I think across the board, quite a large population of just people in general that we've interacted with enjoy travel. But I do think it's different each person you come encounter with how they perceive preparing for travel. Some people it's budgeting to the dime and having every minute planned. Some people it's planning some of it and winging the rest and other people it's, Hey, I show up and let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think you're, and without taking the fun and spontaneity out of it, I do think it's fun to, or it's helpful to at least say, Hey, you should have some kind of idea of what you're planning to spend on this kind of trip. Is this, is this a $1,000 trip or a $100 trip or a $10,000 trip or a hundred thousand dollar trip? I mean, what, what kind of budget are you looking at and um, how do you track to yourself? Okay, am I on track with that or am I way out of budget? Am I gonna come home with a pile of credit card debt that I can't get out of? 
Like what, what will this travel do for your overall picture? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, um, the first thing I would say is that that's there, like you mentioned, a lot of our clients are uh, interested in travel. In fact, they sometimes plan for a long time in terms of their retirement lifestyle. This is, this is what it's going to be like when I have more time and more money to be able to travel and I don't have all the commitments of a job or family and so forth. And so I'm looking forward to traveling. And so there's that, that issue of saving up for the long-term kind of travel you want to do and creating, creating portfolios that will help do that. And then there's the issue of, okay, now I've got trips budgeting or planning financially for each one and not just, you know, budgeting financially, but the time, like you said, you know, are you just winging it as far as what you're going to do? I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of like to have three different buckets that I put uh, trips into. And, and as far as that goes, I like, you know, the, the kind of, I actually enjoy the, I don't know if you've heard of Rick Steves. Do you know who Rick Steves is? So Rick Steves is a guy, I mean, he's a lot of our listeners, my age might recognize the name, but he's, he's a guy on PBS, uh, has some kind of travel show. I can't remember the name of it, but you know, he had a TV show, you know, have the kick cooking shows or different things like that. He had a, you know, here's how to travel on a shoestring. Here's how, here's how to really do Europe right, but really cheaply. And I kind of like that sometimes, you know, it's harder to do if you're doing it with more than one, more than yourself, but so one buck, bucket one for me is like, you know, I'm going real frugally. I'm going to see if I can, uh, you know, take as few of my clothing, clothes and, and you know, anything, I'm going to pack as lightly as I can, you know, not quite backpacking, but I'm going to pack as lightly as I can and go as cheaply as I can and see as much as I, I want to. And then the other, you know, the, the other two buckets are on the other extreme. It's like, you know, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to really, enjoy myself, stay in the nicest resorts and not worry too much while I'm there about the finances. Um, and then something in between, right? So I have, you know, those sort of three buckets in my mind. Yeah. And um, it's always, to me, it's, that's part of the fun of deciding, okay, is this, is this a, um, you know, a lavish vacation or travel, or am I really trying to, you know, challenge myself to see how cheaply I can do it. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, in between type, type trips. Yeah. Well, and I think um, it's kind of fun to do that and to say, okay, well, how, like, how much can I get my dollar to stretch for this? And um, I've seen, I have a handful of friends who were just amazing at planning for like these extravagant trips where all of a sudden I'm like, how did you do that? And they did it in like less than $500 or less than a thousand dollars. And they're staying in a beautiful place. And it's, it kind of comes down to like, is that a skill that you have as well? I feel I personally, I can look up Airbnbs, but I don't know the perfect Airbnb. And with my luck, I'm going to buy the $20 one that all of a sudden I'm like, I can't sleep here. I, I need to get to a hotel. Someone get me out of here. Have you done Airbnb before? Yeah, I did a handful. Um, but I do, I'm kind of like a, like a low to mid grade. So I'm, I'm not getting like the super cheap, amazing deal I'm getting the okay this costs a little bit less than a hotel and it's somewhat close to where I'm going yeah yeah I think that's you know those kinds of services VRBO Airbnb you know I think that's fantastic that you have those kinds of options and I I've taken advantage of those like I said in when I was doing bucket one travel um, just being able to to see if I could find a place that 
would be comfortable, but you know, more of a, more of a base for where I wanted to come back and sleep, not necessarily, you know, hang out in the facility or hang out by the pool or, or, you know, it was just a place to, you know, lock up my stuff and be able to sleep that night. And then, and then throughout the day, I'd be go, going, you know, all over the, whatever the city was and exploring. Um, but I think those are great services and they can definitely help someone do it cheaper, but you're right. That, that itself is a skill in terms of being able to discern which, you know, which kind of place just from looking on visuals on the internet and, and doing some email back and forth with the owner about whether you're really going to be comfortable and how honest they are about, you know, portraying their, their facility. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, we, my brother and his wife do a ton of travel and they were saying that they had a friend that did an Airbnb somewhere in Europe and, apparently the first it was the first one they'd ever done and it was just a complete nightmare (laughs) and so they're like hotels from here on out so I definitely think it can be helpful to like read the reviews on any kind of location that you're going to and maybe see what other people have to say about those spots yeah definitely same thing with uh flights I think sometimes people go well should I hop on this random flight is this safe is this a good one if you asked me four years ago, I kind of thought flights are a commodity. You just need to hop on one and hopefully it doesn't crash and then you're fine. <laughs> just just get across the <laughs> sea, whatever you can crash. do. It's your standard. <laughs> four years ago, my standard was as long as I get from point A to point B without crash, I'm in. Well, well I remember distinctly traveling. My brother was doing a study abroad and I was like, I have to get there. I'm, I'm going to go to Hong Kong and visit. I was a recent college grad, so I didn't have a ton of savings, nor did I want to spend all my savings on travel. And so I thought, okay, well, let's just find whatever the cheapest flight is. And it was Air China, which I had no no idea what that was. I just thought, okay, well, it's the cheapest option. And and I had friends saying, well, is that like Malaysia Air? Are you going to get like taken somewhere? Is it going to crash? And it's like, well, I hope not. Um, luckily it was one of the affiliates with United. So I think it was perfectly fine. I mean, I got a little bit lost in the airport, but perfectly safe, just not a bad travel at all, but I would definitely do a little bit of research into what you're getting into, depending on your personality and what your comfort level is with, um, with uncertainty. So if it is a company that's maybe a company abroad and maybe you don't know the language, you might want to choose something that that you're more comfortable with and maybe spend a little bit more for that comfort. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, there's a value in, in being comfortable or being feeling safe. I mean, like you said, how much risk or how much uh, uncertainty or kind of flexible personality a person has could drive the decisions that they make in terms of travel. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to make sure people are adding in. So in case you're sitting down right now and saying, okay, I'm going on a trip. I'm listing out all the things I need a budget for. I got flight, hotel, transportation, activities, food. One thing you might not want to forget is if you have a pet, you probably have to hire some kind of a pet sitter. And I think that's probably one of the last things most people consider. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I'm always like, oh, Riley needs we need to make sure Riley has a home if I'm not here for a night or um and I think partly because she's kind of part of the family so in my mind she's going everywhere with us but 
the reality is you can't always take your pet everywhere. And so if you do need to leave your pet at home, you want to make sure you're factoring that into your budgeting as well, because sometimes the cost to host a pet or a couple pets might be almost the cost of your hotel if you're doing an Airbnb. So Riley isn't making the trip to Aruba, huh? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> She's staying with her her in-laws. She's staying with her um, Dave's mom. <laughs> Well, that's kind of nice. I mean, it's nice to have family that will support that. Um, but there are also some great services out there that it's amazing to me, the entrepreneurialism of people saying, you know, we'll, we'll set up shop and take care of your pets while you're on vacation and uh, make sure that they have a, a good, safe environment and playful and so forth. And they'll feed them and all that. Yeah. I, I have a handful of friends who've done the Rover service. It's basically like Uber, but for taking care of people's pets. And um, it's been great on both sides for them. They've, it's been profitable and they kind of get that pet feel if you want to have a pet, but you don't want to pay to keep it around all the time. So that's another, another site to consider. You know, when you're talking about the planning of it, um, the financial planning and the time, the time planning is another big thing is, is how, how a person will spend their time with whatever vacation, whether they're, you know, just flexible with their time. They just want to hang out and not have a, a regimented uh, itinerary versus, no, they want to specifically see certain things and go certain places and every minute's uh, kind of planned out. You could think of that like your financial budget as well. How, how important is it to do detailed, here's how much I'm going to spend on the Uber to the airport or a cab drive to the airport. Here's how much I'm going to spend on the flight. Here's how much I'm going to spend... If I get in-flight movies, you know, or yeah. no, generally this, you know, this trip is going to cost me X dollars. Obviously it depends on what percentage of your income or overall net worth that you're spending on the travel. Um, you know, the, the more you make, sometimes the less you need to do that kind of detailed planning. What's amazing to me though, is people who, who have resources, even if they don't need to spend the time thinking through a budget, they do. They don't necessarily do it as detailed, but they pay attention to their costs. And that's partly how they got the resource in the first place, right? They, they were paying attention to those relationships between how much money they make and what their anticipated expenses are. And one of the biggest things I see people doing is not taking into account those kinds of expenses. Like you said, you know, the pet expenses or, or the fact that, you know, it, sometimes when you're traveling the, you know, the, the cost of eating out is, is more unless you're willing to do shopping and cook inside the hotel room or, or you know, an apartment or something, it's going to cost more to, to eat. So people don't necessarily think about that. They also don't think about, okay, there's this, if you put it on a card, which most of us do, there's that feeling of, okay, it's on the card, but I didn't take into account all the expenses I'd have. And then the next month you get into that trap of going, well, you know, I didn't anticipate the, all the expenses I would have outgoing. Yeah. I always like to, um, when I am budgeting, like I like to just kind of create an Excel doc and I put the basics. So you've got like your hotel, your flight, um, any kind of pet care stuff. But then I do like to just kind of put in a little bit of margin for error. I think that's something we often do in planning and, I found oftentimes it's just the reality. So like you're saying, you'll say, okay, well, it usually costs me X much money on food for a week. But if you're traveling, 
you're likely eating out much more than you would at home. So you need to definitely add that up. If you're in a more expensive area, eating out might just cost more than it typically does in general. So you want to make sure you're accounting for that. I think you're right. That's, that's a crucial concept, margin for error in so many parts of life. Now, yeah, I, I was using that example last night. I was on the way home with my daughter from somewhere when it was snowing. You know, that was, it was pretty, it was a pretty good storm last night and the roads were getting kind of dicey. And I was reminding her, uh, you know, she's now 19. Um, but we, you know, when, when, I, when I went through training her to drive, you know, teaching her how to drive and get her license and so forth, I reminded her of the bubble concept. I don't know if you've heard of that bubble concept in relationship to driving. You, know, you just want to kind of form, kind form of. a bubble if you can in terms of yeah. the traffic. You know, if you're in a little cluster of cars um, and there's a lot of weather, you know, if you can kind of accelerate a little bit and be ahead of that group and a little behind the cluster of cars that are ahead of you, you've got more room between you and all the cars that might be sliding all over the road. That's just a margin yeah. for error concept, right? You just, just in case something happens, you won't slide into another car likely because you've got more space. And like you said, you can do that with... Um, with budgeting, you can say, let me make sure I'm kind of accounting for the everything I can think of, but I know there's going to be things that I can't think of. So let me make sure that I'm counting on those because they're going to be there. I just can't think of them right now. And we, yeah. do, the same thing. we do the same thing when we're trying to put a, a valuation on an investment. We, we say, okay, here's what we're willing to pay for this, uh, given if our thesis goes all right, but what happens if it doesn't all go right? You know, then we want to put in a little margin for error there it's definitely in all aspects of finance, planning, and life that you want to have just a margin for error. You want to plan in case things are a little bit more than you expect. So maybe, um, I, it's funny because I do this in hiking too. I will have friends and we'll plan a hike and, and I'll say, oh, I'm comfortable with about like a four or five mile hike today. We'll pick a five mile hike. And then in my mind, I'm like, be prepared for it being seven miles or eight miles because something's going to happen yeah, <laughs> where you, like you make a wrong turn, you got to turn back and you're adding on another mile or two, or maybe you can't park at the trailhead. Um, so I definitely say, especially in finance, but in all aspects of life, it's helpful to, um, to plan for a margin for error. It also helps with your mindset, I think, which you kind of want to have a good mindset if you're going on a trip, you you don't want to get there and start panicking because you didn't plan to afford what you're doing. So it's helpful to pre-plan and say, okay, well, oh, maybe this is going to be X dollars more than I think. And maybe you're pleasantly surprised that you were right on budget or maybe even under budget. But if you are closer to what that margin for error amount is, then you're not going to be panicking going, gosh, I can't pay this. I'm, I'm running my credit cards up and what's going on because, because you're prepared. Absolutely. And, you know, that, we can't emphasize enough that it's, it's a crucial uh, part of investing. You know, there, I don't know if you know this, I may have mentioned to you before, but one of the most famous um, investing books uh, out there uh, is by a guy named Seth Klarman, and it's called Margin of Safety. Okay. And he basically is just talking about that in terms of investing. It's funny because when it first came out, no one bought it. I mean, it <laughs> wasn't a popular book at all. And today, and he never he never put in a second edition on it. And today, it, it goes for I don't know, maybe a thousand dollars on eBay or something. The because, book does. Yeah, it's so well thought of, and he never you know he never said released it for more uh, editions. There were only so many copies that were printed up, and um, 
So now it's a collector's item. People want to get a copy of Margin for Safety from uh, Seth Klarman. It's probably come down. I actually, I'm, I just pulled it up. It's, you know, you can find it anywhere from, uh, looks like Etsy has it for $218. I wonder if it's a real copy. Uh, and then there's one on eBay for $1,900. Maybe that's got his signature on it or something. But, wow. You know, almost two grand for, for a book. It's kind of interesting, but that same concept, you know, he's, he's a successful investor and most uh, investors who are successful do that. They, they plan for, that's part of the planning idea, you know, being planful about your life saying, okay, here's how I want things to go, but they may not go that way. And I got to be realistic. So let me make sure I take into account the fact that they may not go that way. And whether it's time, you know, trying to be a little bit early um, or, you know, uh, money, you know, trying to make sure you've got a little butt, you know, cushion in your budget and so forth. Yeah. Well, and similarly with time, uh, we talked about planning through different events. And I think it's helpful to, if you're looking at whatever travel you're about to plan, if you're looking at it as a true vacation, you want to make sure you have some time where you're just enjoying. So maybe, and whatever that means to you, whatever creates like a release, a happiness, um, positivity, relaxation to you. Maybe that's just laying down, reading a book, but whatever it takes to do that, I would make sure you either set aside and plan some time or leave some time where you're just like, I'm not going to budget half of that day because I want to, or I'm not going to book half of that day because I want to have some time where I'm just enjoying and relaxing. Yeah. I think you're right. It's a personal thing. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I actually, you know, it's sort of labels, but I, I put certain people into the category of their museum and gallery people. And then other people are pool people. Um, I'm kind of in between. I definitely, I can hang out and read at the pool for a long time. You know, I can hang out and just, you know, be all sweaty and sunny and, and dip in the pool and then come back and read my book and, you know, get a, get a nice cocktail or something. But I also can uh, really do enjoy exploring museums and cultural items. And, and But I know people who can't lay by the pool. You know, they're like, that's insane. Why would I want to take a vacation and just hang out by the pool? I got to see the place I'm going to. And then other people, they might go to one, they might step inside a museum and go, oh, I'm bored with this. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to go hang out by the pool and see the, see the, uh, see the beach. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, find what it is that's going to create relaxation in your life and make sure you either book time for that or book time where you're saying, I'm not going to book anything. I'm going to let it just be peace time, time where I can relax. Mm -hmm. um, so I do want to kind of finish up with maybe some tips and tricks. So I kind of listed out some things that Mike and I can touch on and, and decide whether we think they're worthwhile or not necessarily. Um, the top of the list was travel credit cards, because one thing to note is if you are traveling quite a bit, or if you are traveling abroad, you might notice, okay, there's perks for these airlines if I'm traveling frequently within the same airline, and there's, um, you don't have travel fees for or foreign exchange fees if you buy a travel-focused card. One thing that I've noticed on, I think, every single one of them, though, is you're paying at least $100 per year for this card. And in some cases, I think I saw one that was like $700 per year for the card. And I was like, I told Dave, I was like, what are they going to give you? Like a flight to Europe with this, <laughs> with this card? Well, what, what is, is the this? benefit of that $700 card? I think it included... So I'll, I also added on the list, like TSA, PreCheck, Global Entry. I think it included 
that for two people. It included an annual pass to the lounge. Um, I don't know. It had just like really certain kind of things. Yeah, it just yeah. had like a whole list of perks. Yeah, and that you know that's I I just like we were talking about a, a principle, right? The principle of margin for safety, or we talk about all the time, you know, in terms of saving the principle of delayed or deferred gratification. You know, that's a principle you can apply in finance. It's the same kind of thing. You know, th that's under the bucket. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, you know, if, if someone, if some, if some card is saying, you know, here's all the here's all the benefits. Well, you know, they're going to somehow have to. That's going to cost to them, and so they're going to make it up somewhere. That kind of brings me to that point. And we've talked about this a few times with each other and with clients. You know, sometimes people ask me about the points cards. Uh, you know, if you can accumulate, you know, some of the benefits or cashback type things. I'm generally not a fan of those. I, I, you know, I, I do accumulate some points, but I don't think it's a good idea for most people to be focused on trying to accumulate points, travel rewards, and things like that because. Yeah, I liken it to the concept that Vegas has. Vegas knows they're going to get you. If you go out to Las Vegas and they're offering you free drinks and even maybe a free room or whatever, they know that you're going to you're going to sit there in that hotel and gamble your money away. And most credit cards have done the research. If they offer certain kinds of travel rewards, you're going to spend more. Thinking, you know, psychologically, psychologically thinking, well, I'm getting, you know, I'm I'm getting points for it. So, but on the margin, you actually spend more than you might have otherwise. And again, it goes back to: Are you really spending according to the value, long-term value system that you have? You know, what you want to actually have your money do for you. So, I don't necessarily recommend them. I don't think it's a bad idea if you have one that works. But uh, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be, you know, trying to accumulate points on one card and then transfer the balance over to somewhere else to get more points and. You know, playing yeah. that shuffling credit cards game is not not smart. Yeah, no, well, and I definitely agree. I wouldn't say shuffle credit cards. I guess I was more asking, in your opinion, if you chose one card and like one type of company. So if it was, I don't know, like American Airlines or United or Frontier, one of those big airlines, if you got the card that was related to them and then got some kind of discount, is it worthwhile? Um, I kind of feel it depends person to person. If you're, if you know that you're traveling constantly and, um, and if and you're loyal to one airline, for example, like you said, if you're yeah. loyal to a specific airline, but my experience, and you know, again, this, this might have to do with age and, and uh, generation. My experience has been the service and experience that happens on various airlines seems to go in cycles. So if I get loyal to one airline, because I think they're so good, they, you know, I just love traveling on them. Over time, it seems like, well, someone else will come along and compete better and there'll be better experiences, better perks, better, you know, uh, cheaper flights or whatever it might be. And so my experience is I've, I've not ever found like a long-term airline I want to be married to. Now, there are a couple that I think are better right now. Um, but going back to your point about the some of the travel cards specifically to get rid or to to avoid you know, foreign exchange fees or ATM fees at a, at a you know, at a uh, European uh, location. I think that can be really smart. And I do have a travel card like that, that I only use when I go to Europe. You know, it's just okay. uh, mainly designed to keep me from having to pay some of those little nickel and dime fees that really do add up quite a bit once you come home. Okay. Um, it's also helpful to note that typically the foreign transaction fees at least what I've seen, they're usually around 3%. So if you're not spending a ton of money abroad, 
it's not a huge deal. Like if you're saying, okay, I'm, this is my once in a lifetime trip. I'm not going to spend much money anyways. We're going to try to do it. You said on the, was it hairline, your hairline budget. So if you're, if you're cutting your costs as much as you can and um, maybe do the math for yourself and say, Hey, is it worth adding an additional credit card and going through that credit card application process just to have that 3% or um, is it really going to save you quite a bit? Cause you might find it's a couple hundred dollars, which isn't great, but isn't quite the end of the world either. Yeah. Um, on a similar note, do you advise picking up local currency before you leave the country? I do think it's a good idea. I think, you know, it's, it's weird in this modern age, you know, the, the, the digital credit card or debit card, you know, way we do business is very convenient, but I think it's worthwhile having some local currency. And I think it's kind of cool too, to, to, you know, to get a little bit of the currency. I think it's just makes sense to have some, um, it kind of depends on the rest of the plan, right? Am I going to be going to things where it's more convenient to just pay and easier to pay with a credit card or whether it looks like, you know, they're, they're only going to take cash and some places, you know, don't take credit cards still. Um, especially in foreign countries, some of the other foreign countries out there. Um, so I think it depends, but I, I do recommend people getting a little bit of the foreign currency before they leave, you know, with your local bank. Um, and, and like I said, I usually think it's kind of cool to have some of that on hand anyway. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think it's helpful to note if you are planning to pick up quite a bit of, of local currency, um, I think you've said you're, there's a max of like $10,000 or something that you can actually carry onto a plane. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah I think that's the number. There's, you know, again, you don't want me to get started, but they, there's all kinds of uh, rules to make sure that you can't, you know, it's called capital controls that you can't leave whatever country, you know, in this case, the U.S., you can't leave the U.S. with a bunch of money that they don't know about. Like you're trying to take your wealth somewhere else. Uh, most governments don't like that without them knowing about it. And so there are limitations on that. Um, I, I can't ever see myself getting that much in a local currency, even probably carrying that much around in a, in a U.S. dollars anyway. But, but I do think it's a smart thing to have some. You know, again, it depends on the size of the trip, you know, the, how much you're going to be spending and where you're going to go. It, it can be a hassle if you have a multi-destination tra travel, if you're trying to get... You know, especially, you know, again, I'm old enough to remember the days before the euro and you had to get, if you were going to Europe, you had to get, you know, currencies for multiple country. countries. That's, that's yeah. kind of a benefit of having the euro now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was just thinking that it's helpful to note that in case someone's listening and saying, hey, I'm going on a month long trip and I want to pay for everything in cash. I don't want you to show up and um, TSA get mad at you and have issues trying to get the money through. Yeah, no, that could be an issue. I mean, um, there's a great benefit for not paying in cash, as you well know, for being able to track things. Sometimes when people get cash, a big, a big amount of cash, they don't keep as good a track of how they spend money. You know, you have to write it down versus having uh, the credit card reports and so forth. That allows you to, to be able to say, okay, did I really spend what I thought I was going to? Again, that, that does make it easier for, for other people to track, uh, you know, as well, um, whether it's a financial advisor or the government, right? I mean, you, you know, whenever you have digital paper trails of how uh, spending is gone, then, then there's both uh, positives and negatives of that. Yeah. 
Well, so on the same note, not to go off on a tangent, but I wonder if it'll be something that people consider down the road is, oh, maybe I'm piling money into like a Bitcoin, bring that over digitally and then transfer it back into a local currency. Why do you bring up the Bitcoin thing again? What's that all about? I thought we were doing travel. <laughs> well, because you said, oh, well, the digital the currency is tracked and they're tracking you. And I'm like, well, they wouldn't track you from that perspective. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, governments are definitely going to try to be tracking. In fact, the Fed is trying to create its own uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah, that is something that is an interesting topic about, you know, will, will the attempt on the part of any cryptocurrency to have more, I mean, they're saying there's more transparency, but also more privacy. And I'm not sure you can have it both ways. Um, we'll see how that works as far as whether, you know, what, what governments do in terms of, you know, asking for uh, records um, and taxability of wealth. Yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the future of money looks like. Um, without totally side sidebarring though, let's, we can kind of gump, jump back into our list and um, a couple other thoughts. So travel agents, have you ever worked with a travel agent? Definitely. And I've, I've had uh, a full range of experiences there. You know, there's times when you, you have a travel agent and you wonder why you're paying them because you know, you're maybe doing lots of the arrangements, but I've had people, most of my experience with travel agents has been really good. They added value. They, Maybe they, uh, maybe I paid a little bit more, but I felt like I got what I paid for in terms of their, especially if it's foreign travel. If I'm going to some place where I really don't know the area, um, like I said, I've done that. I've, you know, I traveled uh, in Europe some with uh, uh, VRBO and, and things like that. And I just took care of it my own. Um, I, I guess I would say my general rule would be if it's bucket one, where I'm just trying to save as much money as possible and do things on the cheap, then I'm not going to have a travel agent because I'm not going to, my expectation is just more, I'm going to be flexible. I'm not going to be too disappointed if this is a room that I don't really love um, versus bucket three, where I really want it to have the, you know, the best experience I'm willing to pay. I want to make sure that I get um, good advice, good professional advice of somebody who, who knows about that specific area or the, you know, the places I want to go, the tourist areas when I want to go. So it's worthwhile in my mind to pay for that kind of advice. Yeah. You, book, you book, book travel or excursions or whatever through them. Yeah. Well, and that kind of goes back to what we said in our last podcast, where it's, if you don't know everything and if you need help with something, you want to hire a professional. You want to hire someone who's specialized in that field that can make things go smoother for you. So um, and a lot of it depends on the, how you value your time, right? If I'm going bucket one, I'm going, I'm going to be flexible with my time. I'll, I'll just kind of roll with the punches. But, you know, I would never want to go to, say, for example, Rome. I went to Rome and uh, I would never want to be in the line for the Sistine Chapel, you know, the, just the public line. You know, I was in that line. <laughs> you were in that line. <laughs> yeah, you're going to, you know what I mean? You're talking. To, and, and then I got kicked out really and I had to get back in the line. <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't want to necessarily, so it might be worthwhile hiring a, a travel agent to kind of get you in a specialized tour that skips all that line. And that's just a place in yeah. the value of your time and, and maybe, you know, your ability to withstand the Italian heat or the rain or whatever. Um, you know, if you want to kind of make sure that you, the your time is maximized, then that means sometimes you're going to pay more for that. Yeah. 
Well, that, and that's smart. I hadn't even thought of, okay, you're signing up for stuff. So you're skipping the line and you're not gonna have to spend all day waiting in the heat of Rome at hundred plus degrees. And you have to wear long sleeves because they don't let you show your shoulders. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You gotta be aware of those things too. I mean, I, you know, there's things like that, local traditions and customs that somebody can save you some time, money, and maybe embarrassment if they kind of go, well, here's how they do it in the, here's how they do it in this country. Yeah. Um, I think the only, I guess, TSA pre-check or global entry, do you have either or both of those? So it, I have clear and I have okay. uh, TSA pre-check and I am a big fan of both of those, um, especially here in Denver. You know, DIA is an extremely busy airport. Um, you know, the last time I traveled, I couldn't believe how, and it's fairly recently, I couldn't believe how busy it was. And I don't like feeling like I'm going through the line at Disney World when I just am trying to get through security. And I, so I've been really happy with uh, those those uh, programs. I don't have the global entry. And it, to me, it feels like a little bit of a, well, what, what are they going to come up with another thing that says, okay, I can really fly through you know, security. And it seems like actually TSA pre and clear are slowing down a little bit. Like maybe there's just a lot, you know, they've got a lot more demand. There are people like me who are going, I want to, you know, I want to go through the line pretty fast. And so they've got more volume going through those lines, but I don't, I've heard people be fans of the global entry. Again, it's a question of, do I want to have my, you know, all my private information in another database, a global database. Um, the last time I traveled uh, and went through clear, I was surprised at someone trying to sell me on the benefits of health clear. You know, it's one of these things like you're talking about with, you know, yeah. somehow you've shared information about your health and you're maybe you don't have to share as much about, you know, a, uh, a COVID test or some other vaccination that you might have to get, but I, I'm not, I wasn't comfortable with that. They were selling the idea of, you know, a health clear, like you're, you are, you can fly through uh, with your health. You're you're fine as far as getting on the airplane with your your health, and I just wasn't comfortable with that. That's interesting. I'm I I guess I'm not super surprised that they've taken it that direction. Um, the last time I went through, they were trying to sell us on Clear related to like sports events. So they were saying, oh, Clear is going to replace all lines and not just the lines for the airports. It was going to be like if you're going to the Rocky Stadium, you would get in the clear line. And I think they might have implemented that. Yeah, I think I they know. are. And, and I, you know, I can see that. And I can certainly see if I owned a baseball team or stadium that I, I would want to do that. Uh, but I do, you, you know, you and I have talked before about TSA itself. I, I do have the TSA pre-check because I found it enormously convenient. And this is one of those things where people should be conscious about you know, I'm, that convenience maybe is a trade-off. Um, we're making lots of trade-offs in terms of con convenience, in terms of our culture and society right now. I don't think TSA itself is even necessary, but that's a whole different topic. I don't, I don't think they, I think we have, if we had a better foreign policy, we wouldn't need to have most of this thing that goes on with TSA in the first place. And so to me, it's just a, a, a sort of a mirage or, or, you know, placating the masses to say, don't you feel better that you stand in line forever and they might pat you down. And now, you know, now we'll have less terrorists on airlines. I don't yeah. know, but, but, but again, you know, I am making the, the, and as many of us do say, well, I, I value my time in my life and I don't want to spend it, you know, standing in line. So I'm willing to, to do this, uh, this TSA thing. Yeah. Yeah, we'd already talked about TSA pre-check, global entry. Um, I was asking, do you have those things? 
Oh, um, no. <laughs> it's more of a budget thing. I was signed up for TSA pre, I was going to go to TSA pre-check and then they were like, you got to drive to the other side of the state. And I was like, uh, I guess it wasn't the other state. side of the state, other side of Denver. <laughs> it's like a 20 minute drive. And I was like, oh, I don't want to drive 20 minutes and do yeah, an interview I'm a process. big fan of those. Uh, I have really, you know, getting through that line at the airport to, through the security thing and, and not having to take my shoes off or my laptop out and all that kind of stuff is, it's been a good experience for me. Yeah, no, I think they're great. And I've been meaning to do it. It's more of just a, okay, well, do I want to spend the money on it right now? And I feel the last few times I just haven't wanted to spend the money on it. I did think about getting global entry in the past year because it does have, I think it's like a three-year thing. And we're hoping to one day do like some global travel. That's kind of our thought. So I was like, well, might as well do that. Time it around your travel plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but for now, I don't have either. I basically, Dave had TSA pre-check and clear when he was traveling for work. So I'd give him my liquids and stuff, <laughs> make my life easier. <laughs> and then he'd go wait at the gate because it would take me another 20 minutes to get through. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I hope this was helpful for anyone. If if there's any kind of questions you have for us about our experiences or um, about how to maybe plan a budget for travel or just lifestyle budgeting, financial planning in general, please feel free to reach out. Once again, Michael at altiusfinancial.com or Taylor at altiusfinancial.com. Just a quick reminder, this is week 13 of our 53-week challenge. And we invite you to friend us and like us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're posting every week on those platforms. They're all saved as Altius Financial. That's all one word. It's A-L-T-I-U-S Financial. So this week, our challenge is to see how your assets held. Are you holding everything in a joint account? Is it in an individual account? Have there been any kind of life changes for you? Um, has your family grown and now you need to add a new beneficiary? Has someone passed and you maybe need to reorganize your beneficiaries? So our thought for this week is look at how your assets are held and how are they set up for their beneficiary designation? I know that there's been a lot of change over the last couple of years. And so if, if something has changed for you, you might want to revisit that. Once again, feel free to reach out to us if you have any kinds of questions, comments, thoughts. We love to hear any kind of feedback from our listeners and thank you for joining us. Happy Friday and have a great weekend. Thanks everybody. Talk to you soon.